You have sound. Wow. For some of you, when you get that kind of reverberation, it's, you know, you just get ready to launch in something by the Righteous Brothers. You know, a little Bill Medley, Bobby Hatfield. Never mind. Some of you just, okay. Hey, uh, Pastor, thank you. So blessed to be here. Had so many things going through my mind just during worship, okay? And one, I just want to, again, welcome those that are online with us and say, you know, I know the heart of this church. I know the heart of your leadership, that you're just as much a part of this church family as if you were sitting here. But I can also tell you when you're ready to come back, there's a chair for you here too, okay? Um, so many things have happened since I saw you just about a year ago. Um, one of the things that happened was a few weeks after getting back to Colorado, my wife and I had been a part of a church for about 16 or 17 years, and we had felt for a little bit that God was moving us. It was about 25 minutes away from our house, which is an extraordinary amount of time. But in any event, we just felt God was moving us, and sure enough, that uh, there was a transition in leadership at the church there. There were some things, uh, nothing bad that you know wasn't leaving with hard feelings. But we just felt that we were supposed to be in the neighborhood, you know. And so there was a church that had just moved into a building. They were about four years old at the time. They just turned 10. And as we um, were looking at churches, wandered into that church at the invite of a, of a friend and never looked at any place else. And we've been there ever since. And we're, I'm not on staff at that church. I'm in leadership team. My wife and I am regarded as that. But last August... The former church that we had been with, still very close with elders there and others, uh, there was a transition with their pastor, and they asked me to step in, and I thought it would just fill the pulpit periodically. And so when I talked to the young staff member, he says, we need to talk about your availability. And this is in the second week of August. And I said, sure. But it was late for me in the evening, and I was tired. It was after 5 o'clock. <laughs> Some of you can get that one, can't you, okay? I said, but not tonight. It'll be tomorrow. So this was in August, and I said, well, you know, I've got one, two weekends in September, but I can do one that I'll be gone. I know one that I'm teaching and, and a seminar that I'm doing in another church in October and one there. And he says, okay, we'll take the rest. I said, what do you mean, the rest? He said, well, at least until December, we'll take everything else. And I, and I said, okay. And he said, um, we need continuity, consistency, and the same face there, you know, and so forth. And I said, great. Well, my wife and I, very close with so many people at the church, and we had prayed and said, you know, when we saw this transitioning take place, we said, you know, we'll do, God, whatever you would have us do. And in the past, it had been about 40% of the time in between pastors. So when I told my wife, I said, honey, um, I'll be the teaching pastor at this church at least till the end of the year. She said, that's not what we signed up for. I said, baby, let me just kind of go over some theology with you. When you tell God anything, that you will do anything, whatever, right? Sometimes he actually takes you up on the offer. And he did. Well, it wasn't till the end of the year. We're still there. We will probably be there pretty much into the final, the fourth quarter of this year. And having a, having a great time doing that, it's been so educational for me in many, many ways. But I realized something, Pastor. The church that I'm the teaching pastor at is in their 41st year. We celebrated our 40th year legacy. By the way, we can have a conversation about what 40 years means, 
right? Time of trial and preparation is what 40 years is. Anytime you see the number 40, it's a time of trial and preparation for what's next. I mean, we know 40 years in the desert, you know, and there's so many different uses there. And so I was thinking about that when you said the 41st year here, that all of those years there, as you're starting into a new seat, was in for trials, and you've had some, but the preparation... I had another thought. My mind, you know, at my age, I get all these crazy thoughts. My wife says, where's that come from? And I said, sometimes the drugs of the 60s. And she goes, Chuck, you cannot say that when you're preaching. And I said, baby, I can say it. What you meant to say was I shouldn't say it. But can is a word of capability. And I've already showed you I was capable of saying some things you maybe not don't approve of in that, right? But here's, here's the issue. I had never heard that song, Tethered. And just that course, and Julia, that was beautiful. I just, uh, I'm, I'm taking that with me, okay? And we'll talk about it so I make sure I have the right song on this. But here's the image I had. And I'm getting ready to talk to you about living courageously in a chaotic world. And I know this may sound crazy to some of you, but some of you, you know, we grew up. How many grew up with the old tether ball? Do you remember on a pole with the ball on a string? And, the, you know, you had your half, and the job was to hit it around and get it completely wrapped around the pole, right? Tetherball. Here's the image that I had. God is the pole. That's his heart. The string is tethering us there, and we're the ball. Satan gets to play the game all by himself. He's not against anybody. He just wants to knock us around, thinking he's winning. And here's what happens. As we say, tethered to the heart of God, right? In this chaotic world that we're living in, I'm sitting there, and I had to sit down, and I had this picture of Satan just thinking, he's winning, and he's batting us around, and he's hitting us, and he's knocking the snot out of us. All he's doing is wrapping us closer to the heart of God. And then what happens? See, because he's the only player. What happens is Satan goes, wait a minute, I got this wrong. And he gets to the other side and he starts hitting the other way. And he kind of feels like he can unwrap us and get us away from the heart of God. But we're tethered. We're tethered to the heart of God. And the heartier hits us the other way, what happens is we just wrap around the heart of God tighter and tighter again that way. But it's this time frame that God, you know, has got us just in so tight there. And the victory, and we'll talk about it, but, you know, the victory has already been won. And then in this world that we're living in, it just, I had this picture of Satan thinking he's winning because the world is confusing right now. I mean, it really is. It is. We look at so many different things, and it's just, how did we get here so fast? And you look at the recent years. How did this get turned upside down so fast? And all the time I have this picture now, thank you, Julia, of the song, that is, Satan is just batting me around, and the thing's going on. And all he's doing is wrapping me tighter to the heart of God. And oh, yeah, he'll get, all of a sudden, he'll start hitting me the other way, and that's okay. I'm still tethered to the heart of God. And no matter which way he hits me, no matter which way, all he's doing is wrapping me tighter around the heart of God. That was my image that I had, Julia. Thank you. I'll take that with me, by the way. We'll talk about that song because I need that song. I, uh, Pastor Stephen said that uh, 
There's a book table out there. I'm going to show you just a couple of things. And I'll tell you the same thing that I've told you every time I've been here, we've done this for over 20 years. There's a price on those books. If that price works for you, then throw some money at the table and we'll be fine. If a lesser price works for you, whatever you want to put on the table, that's fine too. And if it's just inconvenient for whatever, don't worry about it. You're welcome to take anything we have off the table. It's always been that way. And uh, Pastor Philip and I talked, and the, the family blessing has just been, it was given to me, and the original book was given to me, I think, in 1991, and absolutely changed my life. Little did I know at that time frame what God was going to do as he launched me on. I was still in the military. We were in the Pentagon serving on the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and that, and then I've had the privilege of sitting with Ralph on talking to him on multiple occasions, but the last time we got together was about four hours just sitting there and just the things going on, and it's it's a great book. Now, this next one here, I'm going to tell you, men, listen to me carefully. How to Disciple Men, and there's all these chapters written. I wrote a couple, one in here, all my friends and so forth, but here's what I need to encourage you men. This is not one you have to read front to back. You pick a chapter on a subject that you're dealing with or you want help with. Now, here's our problem, guys. The women think it says how to discipline men, and they buy these things up faster than you can lay them out. So, guys, if you want one of these, you've got to get there quick, because the moment the lady looks at this and says how to discipline men, she says, i got several guys that need that. Trust me, right? So we can't keep them on the table. But, guys, you've got to get there first on those, okay? I'm just telling you that, all right? And the, uh, the last thing is there's some cards out on the table. If you want to stay connected with our ministry, you can put comments on the back. But it's just we, don't, uh, we do not harvest names from anybody in any church. So the only way we stay in touch with anyone is if they say, hey, put us on your newsletters and uh, make sure we stay in touch. As Pastor said, I've been in a series at our church that God just kind of drove me to was this idea of living courageously. I think we need all the help that we can get on this idea of living courageously. And our, our message for today is living courageously in a chaotic world in this time of chaos, right? And it really is. I look at so many different things and what our kids are being taught, thank goodness for Christian schools and Christian teachers that are guiding our kids on the right path there. Um, but the idea that this idea of courageous living, what does this look like? The big idea is very simple on this. Courageous living must be built on a firm foundation of a courageous life. We don't just say, I will live courageously if the life foundation is not in place. And we've got to have the foundation that God has given us in place to live as he, as he desires for us to do. i got to make sure I'm doing this right. I am. This is amazing. Pastor Philip, thank you. You don't think my thing is on? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're doing it for me? I got a green light here or a green thing here. Here, I'm going to click one. And I clicked one. Okay. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. But through the about seven weeks at our church there, that's 41 in our 41st year, this has been the scripture that we have used. We have built on this, but out of 1 Corinthians, what God tells us here is simply this, be alert, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, and be strong. Same verse that we used to kick off with the men last night out at the farm. And, and by the way, you should be so proud as a church 
And I know a lot of people involved in that, but I just say as, as Living Waters, with Father's Love and the young men that were there and a whole group of these young men, and it was incredible. It was wonderful. From another ministry, uh, the men that were there, other churches, men that were there with their sons. And, you know, when you see that and it comes together and the, the meal was great, young people caught some, you know, some fish and stuff like that, but just the time of fellowship. And you should be proud. It's something you should be proud of, okay? So I said, the big idea is we've got to get this thing right that in this chaotic world that we live in, what does it mean then to live courageously? I want to take you through some scriptures here, kind of big on scriptures, and we're going to jump out of this and start in Matthew seven twenty four and 27, okay? And in Matthew seven twenty four and 27, here's what God tells us in his word. Therefore, whoever hears these words of mine and acts on them, okay? So, you know, you get the tie between James. When James says, just right there, don't just be hearers of the word, but you got to do something with this. It's not enough to sit and say, well, I know the word. I've heard the word and so forth. And I look back on my own life and I go, you know, from about seventh grade on was in a Methodist church. And the scripture that I knew was because in the bulletin every week was an Old Testament reading and a New Testament reading. And that's where I got my Bible reading. And I could remember that, and I could remember hearing the Word, but there was a lot of things in my life that didn't line up with the Word. It was enough to hear it. And what we're hearing from the book of James, and we're hearing this here in Matthew, is he's he's really saying here, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. We know what the rock is. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the wind blew and pounded the house, yet it didn't collapse because, because what? The foundation was on the rock. So all of these things in the chaotic world that God is describing in his word here is saying all of these things are happening to tear down your house. And he said, but the house that was had a firm, bless you, the house, bless you again. There you go. Hey, if we're not a church that blesses, I mean, what good are we? Come on now. Okay. Why was I the only one to say that? You're sitting next to her. Okay. Come on. All right. Sneeze again. Let's see what kind of a response. We, there you go. Bless you. All right. That's much better. But the idea here is, is what God is saying is the foundation has to be right. We've got the rock, but the foundation has to be right. And then he goes, but everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man. Now, by the way, we know when the Bible was written and we used the word man in here, it actually refers to all of us, ladies, so you're not off the hook on these. Ladies go, well, you know, the only thing it refers to is dumb guys in the Bible that don't listen, right? No, no. Actually, God's talking to all of us, male and female, okay, in this process. And I'm not calling any of you foolish. I'm just saying, make sure we got that part right, okay? Who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds, and it collapsed, and it collapsed with a great crash. And that's exactly what happened there. And we know what happens, the it in there when we talk about it, you know, is he's referring to our lives. It crashed. It collapsed. It came apart. And when our lives are built on a firm foundation, we will not collapse. 
and our lives that are built on a firm foundation when the storms come, when the storms come, if it's not built on a firm foundation, we have a good chance of collapsing. And we can, you know, basically come apart on this. I want to take you to another scripture here in 1 Corinthians 3.10. In 1 Corinthians 3.10, what God tells us here is, He says, According to God's grace that was given to me, as a skilled master builder, I have laid a foundation. And another builds on it. But each one must be careful how he builds on it, because no one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid, that is Jesus Christ. But you know, one of the things that jumps out to me here is, we talk about the importance of our relationship, and as Pastor Stephen said, from generation to generation, the whole intergenerational, why it's so important, the River Kids, is, you know, they're in here with worship and so forth, but it's important that we're including them in the life and not just relying on someone else. You train them up, and when they get of the right age, they can sit in here with us. No, we're all in this together. Those are all of our kids there. But he's saying, look, he's laid a foundation. Our job is to help continue the laying of the foundation. That's discipleship. That is the process of growing in Christ and so forth. But remember this, it's got to be built on Jesus Christ. That's the whole purpose of it, right? And, uh, you know, it's the idea that nothing can be built on that foundation except Jesus Christ. And I think it's important we clarify what God is saying through the Apostle Paul's word to the church. Think of your life as a multi-storied structure. I have a a friend, and what his job was, was to take, and I, I wasn't familiar with the term, but it was just called the build-out. And what the build-out is, it goes into an office space, and it's wide open, basically. And they work with the clients, and the client says, okay, here's what we need. I didn't realize the offices that we have for our church are in an office building outside the church. And the owners came in, they hadn't been there since the build-out. That was their term that they used, Right. And there, because of the, the prior pastor and so forth, there's two large kind of executive offices, multiple offices. There's a conference room and a kitchen and an area in there. And the owners were absolutely amazed. And he goes, this is incredible. This is ready to be used by anybody right now because of the build-out. And so what happens here is that build-out is internal, but if you do not have the building on a firm foundation, it doesn't matter how pretty you try to make the inside, this thing's going to come apart. And the problem is, is in too many lives, and we see this, what happens is they want it to look good on the outside, the build-out, how, you know, all of these things, their appearance and so forth. But saints, if we don't have the foundation right, it can only look good for so long because that's going to come apart. Had the privilege of living in Italy for about five years. You know, they didn't design the Leaning Tower of Pisa to, to actually lean. I mean, that really, that wasn't the plan when they put it up. They didn't plan on it leaning like that, right? And the fact of the matter is, is that we have these levels, and I think about the build-out in my life, right? If I don't have the foundation right, what does the build-out look like for me? Well, I had somebody ask me, they said, so you're 75, you're almost 76, you retired? I didn't respond very well. I said, yeah, kind of. I have this part-time preaching thing to teaching pastor, and that's only about 35 hours a week. And we still have the ministry that I'm leading. 
I have a publishing company that I'm leading. I'm a husband, a father, a grandfather, and a great-grandfather. And other than that, i got nothing going on in my life. I mean, it gets pretty simple. You know, you just kind of lay it out there. I mean, you know, they say, what do you do with your days? Eh, not much, you know, play a few games on my phone maybe. I don't know. But the idea is the foundation, God never designed the foundation for any of those to change. That this foundation being built on Jesus Christ, inside of this, he can add, now you're a father. That happened. Then you add, well, now you're a grandfather. You know, and all of these things here... But it's all to be on the really important part is the foundation has to be solid. Because if we don't get that right, as a husband, as a father, as a grandfather, leading a ministry or even coming here with none of that, none of that's going to work out in a manner that God desires for me. None of it's going to work out in a manner that God desires for you as I have the privilege and honor and it's humbling to stand on the pulpit here and to share this with you. But we've got to get this right. You know, and so you look at this thing, and as I was studying this issue of the foundation, and there were some things in my life that happened, there's a bottom part of this thing. Let me see if I can get to this, all right? How cool is that? And I, I took this, I did some research on construction. This is off of a construction site, actually, on engineering. Here's what it says. The bottom part of the foundation underneath the foundation, it's what it's referring to. It's called the footings. The footings in construction are critical as the footing distributes the weight of the building evenly across the entire structure so it doesn't sink into the ground. Right now we're going through a 200-year remodel of the airport in Denver, if you've been there. It seems like it's been that long. One of the major problems of the airport remodel is that the things that weren't seen, they cut corners on. Quality of the cement and the footings. So when they got in, they're actually adding another level to this, or they want to, they will, but they realize this. The footings are not sufficient to support the foundation. And now, before they can do anything up here, what they're required to do is go back in underneath, and they've got to strengthen the footings to support the foundation to make the changes up above that everybody's going to see. I thought, how much that is that our lives? That we want to make changes on how we look, you know, how maybe it's we dress, the house we live in, the manner in which people see us. Right? And the things that are really important are the footings and the foundation in our life. Because in a chaotic time, times that we're living in right now, if the footings are not in place to support the foundation, we are at risk of coming apart, aren't we? Listen to some of the prayer needs and so forth, and Pastor said that, you know, my wife decided not to make this trip. She's been to Kentucky two other times this year. Her brother went to be with the Lord at the end of May. My wife, uh, when I'm at Summit Church where I'm the teaching, I have to always start off and explain why my wife's not in church. And I always let people know she hasn't left me. Okay, we're good. And they cheer when she's back. 
We had a two-month period. She slept in her own bed twice. And I wasn't there. And we were getting ready in April to fly and see our kids in Virginia. And that was scheduled 19 to 29. How I remember these dates. Don't. And before Easter, all four of our kids there got very, very sick. So my wife and I are writing on Thursday, and we get the news that all four of them are sick. And she says, do you think I need to go early? Men, ladies, you don't have to listen. Men, when you're in a situation like that and your wife says, do you think, she's really not asking your opinion. That's, that's the last thing she needs. <laughs> she knows what she needs to do, right? And I explained to all the guys in my church when I told them this. I said, look, the right answer is, after 46 years of marriage, is, baby, sure, give me an hour. I'll put everything together. So I said, sure. So she left right after Easter. I took her bags packed and everything, took her to the airport. That was the 9th of April. So she goes through in the regular time, and she was staying a little bit after that to help out with the kids, and then her brother went to be with the Lord. So then we changed her flights and flew her into Nashville, got her up to Bowling Green for that. I flew in and met her there. But her sister, the remaining sibling there, is she's 82 and needed her little sister to stay with her, so she stayed another week. So now we're already into May. I flew out on the 15th to go speak down in Louisiana. She flew in on the 16th. Our son had been having some liver issues, liver injury, they call it. And on the Wednesday after she got back, found out he was getting sent by ambulance to the medical center in Omaha. And they actually put him in the transplant. He's 42 years old. They put him in the transplant uh, unit there for the liver. And she says, I need to, do you think I need to go there? And I said, okay, but you're not driving the entire distance. You're exhausted. So, we got her, so she launched then on Thursday. And so by the time she actually got back in June the 7th, it was two days short of being two months away with two nights in her house, right? And so a lot of things going on in our family and a, a lot of battles. You know, when you have a 42-year-old that uh, was just in, one year ago he did a, a 10-mile Spartan race at Fort Carson in 102 temperatures, and then to watch him lose 40 pounds, and they couldn't control it and didn't know. Now he's on the upward climb on this thing, and she's there with him now. She'll, she'll go back tomorrow because I fly back on Tuesday, and we'll spend the night at, near, the, near the airport because she flies out on Wednesday to go help the other son. Keep that in mind. Of course, four grandkids, now double that and triple that and see what your life's going to be like, Billy. Well, actually, Stephen, see what your life's going to be like because you'll just be making the travel arrangements. <laughs> you know? Okay? But the idea on this is, is, boy, I look at this right now and this issue of the footings and the foundation, and people say, how are you guys managing? How, are, how does a marriage manage when you... We spent two months apart while I was in the military, so we had some times of separation. And Billy and I have held each other. We prayed with each other. And I keep coming back to this, and that is the foundation that she has in Jesus Christ was there before I got mine right, trust me. God just let her slip away far enough to meet me because if she'd have really been walking with the Lord, the only way she'd have met me was handing out tracts after the bars closed. <laughs> And that'd be funny if it wasn't true, right? He let her slip away just enough, and then he reeled her back in, 
And then he, uh, he gradually brought me back in on this. But, you know, the other things, and I have so many comparisons on this when you look at it, is, you know, the footings that we have in our, in our lives and in houses. We have houses in Colorado because of the soil not being right that are just crushing foundations, and they got to dig the whole thing up. The house, they think, is still good, but to repair the thing. So here's the scripture I want to take you. You won't see it up there, but I'm going to take you through very quickly on this. In the First Timothy, and we use this in the rites of passage in 4, 11, and 16. And remember, this is Paul speaking to a much younger guy who he's sending into kind of the lion's den in terms of where he's sending him back. He says, command and teach these things. It's in 4, 11 through 16. No one should despise your youth. Instead, you should be an example to believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Until it, I come to your attention to public, and until I come, give your attention to public reading and exhortation and teaching, and do not neglect the gift that is in you. And then there's more that goes with that. But I want to take you through part of that. And I want to just talk about first, let's go to the footings on this. God is very clear on this. Start with this, this introduction to these footings here. It says command, which is live. That's what he starts off with 1 Timothy 4, 11 there. Command, that means here's how I want you to live, right? And then teach these things, right? And then he says, no one should despise your youth. And I want to clear that up. We're not talking about just younger people, biological ages. We're talking about young people that are Christians. And they say, well, I've, I've only been a Christian, right, for so long. There's not much I can do at church. And what God is saying to you is don't let anybody despise you in the youth of your relationship with God as well as how young you may be and so forth, right? And then he says this, and instead, I want you to be example, set the model, set the example on how to live to believers, which is everyone, you know, that knows you or sees you. Now, I want to look at the footings on this thing. I'm going to give you from this message here. Now, we're not into the foundation yet. But I'm going to give you the footings that God gives us out of this. He says, here's the footings for the foundation. Remember, that's to keep the foundation from sinking and so forth and getting these right, that we build these. These are the underpinnings of this, right? And he says, first in speech. And look, sometimes we think of this word speech and we think, well, I don't use bad words. Okay, good for you. But the manner and the tone in which we speak to one another, the speech that we have, the truth that we speak, the care that comes through our voice, the things that we say and how we say those, those are all the things that God is referring to when he says in our speech. It's not just, well, I don't really use any curse words, right? No, 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 that doesn't cut it. He's saying the manner in which we speak to one another and how we speak. The next thing he says is in your conduct. How are you truly living your life? We talk about this that, you know, I tell people at my church, you know, the only days God's really concerned about how you live your life are the days that end in why. Satan can have the rest of them. You got me? But this conduct of how we choose to live our life. And I'm not talking about at church on Sunday morning and all of that. No, 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 no. Where you live, you work, and you play. How are you representing Jesus there in these very difficult times? Because, I will tell you, this world feels like it's coming apart to people that do not know Jesus. And it's very possible 
that you're the only Jesus they're going to see. And they're not going to necessarily get it from your words. They're going to see it from how you choose to live your life. Is there anything different about you? He says, in love. Well, love, remember this. That's not that mushy, emotional feeling, right? Love is a decision on how you're going to treat someone with respect and honor. That's what God talks about, love. You know, I talk to all these young people, and they say, we're just so madly in love. And I said, no, you're not. You're in lust. You know, you don't learn love till you get to that 20, 30, 40-year mark. My wife says, you know, we're in our 46th year of marriage, and all but about 10 of them have been pretty good. Okay? You can laugh at that, but it's still true. Okay. But the, the next thing that he says, but in our faith, right? And you, you see this, to just ask the question, in faith, are we living our life based on the faith that we profess, right? Is that intertwined? Is that foundational? Is that the footing for us? And, of course, the last thing there is, is the issue of purity. And very often, and I, I love it in the rites of passage, we teach that, you know, very often we look at this issue of purity and we think, well, that's just a sexual issue, Saints, purity is up here, of which the sexual issue is just a very smart of it, very small part of it. Purity talks about everything we hear, everything we see, everything we think, what we say with our mouth, what we feel in our heart. All of those are issues of purity for God. And God wants us to be pure entirely, not just in one aspect and say, but you know, people, people would ask me years ago, if you died today, do you know where you'd go? And I said, well, yeah, I'd go to heaven. They said, well, how do you know that? And I said, look around at these people. They're idiots. God's got to at least grade on a curve. And compared to about everybody else, I've got at least a C average, and that got me through college. It'll sure get me into heaven. You see, God doesn't grade on a curve, does he? And what I'm saying by that is this issue of purity Well, it's not just an average. It's not just grading on a curve that I've got most of this stuff right over here. Yeah, you know, my thoughts are pretty bad, and i got a lot of anger here and the purity. No, no, no. God's looking entirely at you and me in this process. Now, some of you, and I talked to some of the men last night on this issue, but it was just this idea that, you know, having not been made perfect, we're maturing, but this idea of perfect, what happens there is, is, you know, you think, well, I've already blown it. My father, and I've shared his story on occasion, but one of the big stumbling blocks for him was he believed in God, in Jesus. He read the Bible. I was discipling him. But it was so far hard for him to take that next step because he believed that for anybody in the world, that was the best deal going. This guy, Jesus, that would die on a cross for their sins and give you access to the Heavenly Father for an eternity, man, that is a deal too good to pass up. Well, why didn't my father make the decision then earlier? It's because my father believed that what he had done was so bad that God would forgive everyone else, but he couldn't even possibly forgive my dad for what he had done till that March month before his 70th birthday. But here's what we know in 1 John 1, 9. God tells us this. If we confess our sins, okay, come back to this, here we go. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. There's a shock, isn't it, that God is faithful? If we confess our sins, it's on us first. He is faithful and just 
because God's a just God and will forgive our sins. And I love this in the NIV because it says, and purify us. That's where that purity over here, it's always, always available to us. He does it for the asking. That's all we've got to do is we've got to ask. Now we've got the footings in place, right? That's what God's telling us right from his word. Let me just give you now foundation of this. What God says, and, and by the way, things have to be maintained, right? They have to be maintained. I was in Mexico. Delta Airlines has a company down there that refurbishes their airplanes, okay? And I'm walking through the plant that this is done in huge hangar, and they can take three of these huge planes in at a time. And everything about the plane is stripped out. I mean, the bathrooms are over there. Their components there. All the overheads are there. All the chairs are over here. They're redoing this whole thing. But what they strip it down to is they strip it down to the, to the structure because they have to make sure it's sound, okay? Because the idea that over time that stress wears on that and the integrity starts to come apart. So it has to be examined and it has to be maintained, right? Does that sound like our lives? That we can get it right, but on a regular basis, we've got to examine and maintain the structure in our life. And God gives us some very specific things and tells us what to do with this. And he says, look, there's three things right here. The public reading of the word, exhortation, and teaching. And he says, look, the public reading, we've got to get God's word personally and collectively. One of the things that is foundational in this church, and the very first time I came, and I love being, is the word isn't an add-on at this church. It's not something where there's a message and say, oh, by the way, we can... Had a young pastor that would call me and said, I've got my message. Do you have a good scripture that would fit well here? I won't go into that one completely. But the idea is that this church at Living Waters, it's the church of Living Waters because the, the word is foundational, both publicly and the encouragement to read it privately and own it personally. We've got to have that. The second thing is this word exhortation. Well, that word exhortation, we use it here, is advisor, counselor, and it's very similar. The, the, the word uh, parakaleo is the comforter in the Greek word, but it's the word that's also used with the Holy Spirit there. So this encouragement and so this exhortation is meant to go both ways, meaning that regardless of our ages, those in relationships, that God is encouraging us to build those relationships on the Word, but to also that exhortation, he says here, that comfort to one another, but that speaking truth to one another. And finally is the teaching. And look, I just want to encourage you. We all have things that we can teach. We all have things that we can teach. In fact, last night at the men's thing, one of the men brought up in John 4, and I've, I've spoken on that here in terms of a message, but, you know, you think, you look at the woman at the well, right? She meets Jesus Christ. In that moment, when she's done, she goes back to the village. By the way, the first evangelist was a woman, okay? Seriously. And it says, because of her testimony, 
others believed. I mean, in terms of the church, she'd probably been a Christian now for what, 17 minutes? And that might be giving her a benefit of the doubt. But here's this really short period of time. And what did she know? She had met Jesus. And she could teach them what he had done for her. And the word is very clear. It says, many came to believe because of her testimony. Right after that, they came back to see Jesus and ask him to stay longer than he did. But the reality of it is, it started with a woman that had been a Christian for 17 minutes. I mean, whatever the distance was from the well, Jacob's well, to get back to her town, that was the distance because she went back shouting joy. She knew the truth and what the truth had done for her and set her free in that process. Remember, this is the one when he says, go get your husband. She said, I didn't have one, right? And he says, yeah, you're right about that. You've had five, and the guy you're living with now is not your husband. But the reality of it is, she had something to teach and share. Now, there are things that we need to do, and I know at our church we, we have a, a growth trek go through and preparation for teaching in this, but that does not mean that where you're at right now, what God is saying to us is, don't neglect the gift that is in you. That's the most important thing. Churches grow in their effectiveness when people are operating in their gifts that God has given them. This church is no exception, and every one of you have gifts. One of the things that we do in the Baton Seminar where we work with our Encore generation is we give them the spiritual gifts test as well as the personality test, and it's so much fun. Because as I look around the room as they're doing it, so many of our Encore generation have been told or they feel like that their personality and their gifts expired when they reached a certain age and they just don't have any anymore, and that's just not true. That is an absolute lie from hell. It smells of smoke. And I will tell you this, if it smells of smoke, it's not coming from heaven. Every single one of you sitting here has gifts, has a purpose, has a reason to be here. This church needs you to be the church that God desires it to be. Not the church. I listen to people and say, well, we're deciding what kind of a church we want to be. And I look at them, I go, why don't you let God do that? And then you just kind of fulfill what God tells you. You're right. God has great plans for this church, and it involves each one of you. It's not separated till you've been here five years, and maybe you can work your way into it. Right now, in this moment, this very day, there is something for all of us to do. There is something for all of us to do. And I love the way God says it here. It says, it's not just, well, you know, sit back and don't use your gift. He says, don't neglect. That word neglect has a very special meaning to it when he's referring to the gifts that we have. Do not neglect your gifts, right? And by neglecting them, what he's saying is, don't let them just sit there unused. You have them for a reason. And God is very specific on this. Now, when we look at this and we think about, okay, what does God want me to do with this? Here's kind of how I feel about it. Now do something. Just do something. Several years ago when we were still in the military, we had gone to Rome, Italy in 1992, and 
the nice thing is, I've probably shared this story with you before, but at my age, I get to meet a lot of nice people for the first time again. <laughs> Can I get a witness? All right. And I get to tell the same stories for the very first time again. But this one, just do something. Frank Burroughs is, uh, is one of my mentors. He's 96 years old now. And uh, before we were leaving to go to Rome in 1992, Frank said, so what do, you, what do you think you're going to do when you get there? Well, I was assigned in the military. I mean, I had a job and so forth. But he said, no, what, how are you going to serve the Lord? And we're walking through. And I said, I still have a passion for men's ministry. And my wife and I actually took over four, eight books. We wanted God put the number for us and three other couples to be in a Bible study. So we took the books over with the leadership stuff out of family life. It's how to, how to build your mate's self-esteem. And so I said, I've got those two things. Well, a year later, I came back, and he says, so how's the men's ministry? And I said, well, it's just so hard. And I went into all of the excuses, okay? And he listened to all of those things because he was very kind. But then he said, Chuck, when you go back, just do something. God can guide a rolling stone a lot easier than dig one out of a deep hole. Too many people are sitting in church in a deep hole and they're expecting God to use them. Get up and get moving. Do something. So I'm looking at this man and I said, Frank, okay, you give me two weeks. Give me two weeks. I'll do something. Had no idea what it was going to be. Rome, very condensed, population, all of that, and traffic and so forth. There was all kinds of reasons why I didn't do anything. I mean, seriously, anybody could see that. I mean, you can't hold me responsible for that. I get back there, and I've been helping just do some coaching for younger kids at the school. Had a little campus there with about nine different buildings on it and a gym and a soccer field, and the headmaster had become a good friend. And I'm watching the kids play soccer, and I'm standing next to him. It's the day after I got back. And I looked around, and I leaned over, and I said, let me ask you a question. He said, sure. Any chance of using a room in one of your buildings periodically? He said, well, what do you want to do, Chuck? And I said, well, just... You know, a couple of times a month, I want to do a men's ministry with fathers and sons and men and that. And he said, what day? I said, well, Saturday. And he says, come with me. He walks me into the office, and Antonella is there, and we had known her and taken her to church. And he, I don't know her last name, calls her, and he said, would you give Colonel Stecker one of the master keys to the campus? You know, you hear things, and you're not sure how to respond. And listen, so I didn't respond. I just said, stand in there. She says, absolutely, and she gets into the safe, hands him a key, and she says, all I need you is just initial that you've got, and I said, okay. And he looks at me, and he said, now, Chuck, this gets you into every building and every room on campus to include my office, so please take care of it. He said, but on the days you're talking about, the Saturdays, you can have any room and any building. He says, except for maybe my office. You can use any room in any building. It had been there the entire time we'd been there. Do something. And we did. And the first time we got together, we had about 30 guys there representing seven or eight different nationalities with fathers and sons. And I got back to Frank to let him know that I had done something. The reality of it wasn't anything. I just realized that God wanted to do something, and he'd like to use me if I was willing and can I tell you the same thing? God wants to do something with each one of you. 
All it takes is for you to be willing. There's so much talent in this room. There's so much giftedness in this room. There's so much that God has done in lives of men and women in this room. I will tell you, God's got great plans. Like me, trying to make excuses out here, and I'm not saying any of you are, but if you are, God will convict your heart, and it's not my problem. But it's the idea that he was waiting for me to say at the response of a messenger, Frank Burroughs, to say, Chuck, just do something. Just go do something. Get it started and see what God wants to do with it. For the remaining amount of time there, we met regularly at that school with men and sons. One of the most significant times in my life in terms of teaching that would prepare me coming back to the States. Now here's where we're at on this. Same scripture here. Be alert. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous and be strong. Now here's my question to you. What are you going to do with this? I've sat in many messages that were great, walked out, and I've done nothing with them. I've had times I've looked back on it and I go, wow, I guess God was telling me something. Maybe I should have done something with that. I'm not telling you this is what you're supposed to do. I'm not putting a burden on you to say specifically here. I don't speak in that way. But here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to pray and ask God, what would you have me do? Then I'm asking you to pray and ask God to give you the courage to do it. I've had many times I've been able to ask God, what would you have me do? The stumbling block was somewhere along the line, I didn't live courageously with the courage to do what I knew he was calling me to. God didn't miss the moment. God never misses the moment. But I've missed it. So I'm asking you to do two things. And if you've got to sit here afterwards, if you want to pray with someone, the prayer team's here. If you just want to sit. But here's what I'm asking you to do. Would you ask God what it is, that first step? Get something rolling that God can get. What's the first step for you? And listen, for some of you, Maybe the first step is to ask the leadership team, where do you need help? Where do you just need help? Maybe that's your first step. But I will tell you this. I believe God brought every single one of us, me included, here. Brought us here today for a next step. Whatever that is. But I would also tell you this. When you pray about that, would you also pray and ask God to give you the courage then to do what he's asking you to do? To do what he's asking you to do. Even if it's just ask the leadership, where do we need help here? Where do we need help? What can I do? And let that be the start. I'm very blessed and honored any time I get to come here. Um, love being in Kentucky. It's hard not to like the place that you met your wife. But I, um, I want to tell you just how blessed I am to be with you. I pray for this church regularly. Believe me. I believe God has great plans for this church. And I believe that God is calling all of us, his sons and daughters, 
that in these chaotic times, live courageously and help others do the same. In Jesus' name, thank you.